Hi, this is Jeff D. Hi, my name is Gary Savard. Check it out, Bubba Brinkman. I am the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson. Hi, this is Jody Emery. Hi, I'm R.N. Rod. Hi. I'm James Rand. Hi, this is Phil Ferguson. Hi, I'm Michael Shermer. Hi, I'm Eli Bosnick. Hi, this is David Silverman from American Atheists, and I took a left at the Valley. And that was the best turn I ever made. (laughs) (laughs) I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists, you know. We don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an Coming at you from Secret Lair, Abbotsford, BC, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I've always wondered why hedgehogs don't want to share that foliage. <laughs> Joining me as usual is the team that proposed that gambling hotlines would be better if every fifth caller was a winner. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, she said that just because nobody complains doesn't mean all parachutes are perfect, Nancy. <laughs> Yeah, because whoever doesn't get the perfect one is dead. (laughs) (laughs) And his girlfriend wanted something to make him look sexy, so she got drunk. Scott. (laughs) I resemble that statement. (laughs) (laughs) She likes to hold hands at the movies, but it startles strangers. (laughs) (laughs) That's so mean. (laughs) (laughs) And she bought powdered water, but now she doesn't know what to add to it. (laughs) Kirsten. That is something I wouldn't think through. Yes. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. Oh, we're glad to be here. Oh, we had a good week. We have returned. Yes, you're back. Yeah, we're back. It's, it's been yes. too long. Yeah. Always good it to have the girls back. We're going to have a great show today. Today, we're going to be uh, talking about something a bit different. Uh, we're going to be talking to filmmaker old friend Damien Gillis. We'll be talking about wild salmon. Because huh. it's it's become an issue, and it's a big a big issue here on the West Coast. So we'll be talking about that. I've been looking forward to to that. It is a, a, a different topic, Absolutely. but it is an important one. And even though you know all of our listeners are not necessarily near a coast, eventually it'll it'll affect them mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. And we've done some uh, some great shows with Damien in the past, uh, especially when we talked. Uh, no one if you remember, like years ago, when I said we talked about uh, liquid natural gas with Damien Gillis and. His predictions were right on the mark, mm-hmm. and you know he knew exactly that the whole thing was going to fail. And he's pretty good. He's pretty good. So we'll talk about him uh, uh, with him a bit later. But first, let's do a bit of chit chat because the news never stops. Nope. <laughs> uh, did you guys uh, hear that Israel has ordered African refugees to leave within three months or face prison? What? No. Yes. This is. These are uh, obviously uh, refugees from Sudan and. Eritrea? I'm not sure where that is, but it's close by, obviously. And if they leave, they're given $3,500 for to cover their airfare. Um, of course, the children, the elderly, and the victims of trafficking are exempt. But uh, thousands apparently have crossed from Egypt uh, before Israel put up a fence. It's estimated between uh, 25,000 asylum seekers are from Eritrea, 7,900 are from Sudan, 2,600 from other African countries. 
Well, wow. how, do, you, do you know under what circumstances they were allowed in so that there's some justification, you know, for them to I, leave I within a certain, or is this, I mean, this is... Well, so, so some, some of them are refugees, yeah. and some of them, I'm sure, are illegal refugees as, as well, you know, they just came into the country, Yeah. and uh, Israel basically said, no, you're going back home, well, we don't care, you know, but it, I, I don't know how I feel about this, I understand that, you know, these people are, a lot of them are escaping misery, but at the same time, I'm... They're giving them $3,500 for them to go back. Yeah, but back to what and back to exactly, where? Exactly, right? Exactly. At least they're not just kicking them out, right? I mean, I, I, so I'm not exactly sure how I feel about all this. No, I guess we I need... I, yeah, yeah, we, we need, don't have enough information. It's, yeah, we, we need a little more information yeah, on that. Yeah, the question is, they in the article you read, it was children were exempt as well as elderly. Does that mean the parents of the children can't stay? You just have to leave your kids. Unfortunately, this is going to be almost a, when you get something like that, it's a case-by-case basis. And you can't do a blanket law. Yeah. And unfortunately, the news is not reporting on a case-by-case basis. But this is what's happening right now in Israel. So it's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. I, I'm surprised I hadn't read about that. In yeah, the no. Yeah. Um, I figure that would make headlines. I mean, did you guys hear there is an unknown object producing some short, powerful, fast radio burst three point, uh, sorry, three billion light years away? Really? You mean it was producing these? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it is. No, no, it was. No, no, Because no. it's three billion light years away, oh, so that was okay. three billion years ago. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, they don't know what it is. Usually, they, these kind of bursts are called, uh, they're usually from neutron stars. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, it, it behaves more like a black hole. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the signal keeps repeating. Although huh. it's, it's only a one millisecond long signal, but it keeps repeating, which mm. they find it unusual. It's aliens. Yes. <laughs> and Probably it's saying, stay away. <laughs> stay away. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, did you guys hear about this uh, speech that was given at the Golden Globes by Oprah Winfrey? I heard about it, but I haven't looked into it yet. Oh, God. Okay. Can, can we just what, what, say, no. Oprah... Please don't run for president. Oh, that's yeah. exactly it, right? Just please don't. Well, that's what Donald Trump is saying, so maybe she should run for president. No, no, no. she just shouldn't. Oh, Oprah, no, she, 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 gave a, she gave a good speech in, in support of the Me Too movement and all that, and it was a rousing speech. It was, it was a good speech, don't, don't get me wrong, but now a whole bunch of people has uh, have them all, has people wondering about her political ambitions. Uh, the, she called for a, quote, brighter morning, even in our darkest night, which is nice, Ooh. you know, at the, at the Golden Globes. Mm. But now people are calling for her to run for, to become president. I have no problems with her, her political sentiments and her sincere desire to improve conditions in the United States. But I think she can do it in a different way and let the professionals handle it. I have huge problem with Oprah, if you want, yeah. because she is probably the biggest peddler of pseudoscience yeah. of any kind. Do you want Dr. Oz as Surgeon General, really? Oh. Seriously? Uh, it would, be no, a, it no. would definitely be a new chapter in the hilarity that has become... Yes, U.S. politics has become. I, I don't understand why these people start start thinking. Oh well, she's a billionaire. She should she should run the country. It's like that, well, why yeah, are people no. thinking this? She's way a states? billionaire. She should donate money and maybe start like. Well, she uh, has. She, well, yeah, you know, she yeah, has. And, and, and yeah. you get a book, and you get a book. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. You get a law. You, you, yeah. you get a car. She did that once. Yeah, I she, know. She, she yeah, that's a car. why I don't she doubt her sincerity, but her qualifications and no, she's not a politician. I mean, I hate to say it. 
I'm, I'm trying to use the word politician in a good way. She's not a she's not a politician. Yeah, just just because you have a lot of money and and, yeah. and a sincere uh, way of wanting to help some people doesn't. Well, first of all, I think she's a phony, and uh, but just even if she was completely sincere. Uh, it, just because you have money and you're sincere doesn't mean all of a sudden you should just throw yourself mm-hmm. into politics. Well, and, and, and she's not initiating the gossip. Other people are saying run, yeah. run, run because it looks like she's a beacon of hope, you know, well, at this and, point. And but I doubt Trump. if she'll do it. We have Trump as president right now, so it's understandable that people are looking at another television star and being like oh this television star would be better not being like "Hmm, maybe we shouldn't have a television i I have to say celebrity nancy brought this up she said that she's a beacon of hope but i'm i mean considering the state of u.s politics right now anything i think her baby turtles would be a beacon of hope (laughs) baby turtles are so cute that's it well they could turn to ninja turtles too later Uh, (laughs) i think i think the message we need to send to the uh, the american public is just because you're you're in a situation right now that seems very dark and desperate. Doesn't mean you you go on the first train yeah. that that looks to be out of town, right? I yeah. mean, uh, to use an old baseball analogy, you always says the first pitch go by. You know, you don't swing at the first pitch. You know, and that's what they're doing with Oprah. It's like, come on, it's Oprah Winfrey for Christ's sake. Yeah. <sighs> well, so, I, 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 as I said, I don't I don't think she's going to run. But, um, but we'll just is, have to see what see what if, have, see who comes out see who comes out when yeah. it's um, no, in twenty twenty. I, I think Doctor Oz as the Surgeon General would, would be uh, interesting. <laughs> the comments of Scott are not necessarily yeah. those of the Valley. They're especially not the comments. <laughs> our, our American friends, as as the voice of reason from Canada, vote Oprah. <laughs> no, do not vote Oprah. How <laughs> about Arnold Schwarzenegger? He'd probably make a better case. Oh, he would make actually, no the Rock. Oh, okay, the, the rock. rock. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh my gosh. Is that would not be a bad governor for California. I'm pretty sure he could do a better job than Trump's doing now. Yeah. yeah he actually has the experience. But <laughs> not, any any but more of this talk and I'll get in the race. <laughs> Vote Nancy. Vote Nancy, Nancy. Nancy 2020. Nancy 2020. And you got to wear that t-shirt. I, I am the amazing That's right. Nancy. I am the amazing Nancy. I might actually move to the States and get citizenship just to vote for Nancy. <laughs> you know, Boy, I've got, I've got support already. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm, now I'm taking you go, it Nancy. seriously. We'll be the voice of Nancy. <laughs> that's right. You know, I, I, was ta- I was talking to my girlfriend last night. I was uh, saying exactly that. You know, even right now, if somebody came to me and said, you know what, Kev, come work in the States and we'll offer you $100,000 no. a year, I probably wouldn't. No way. I probably I wouldn't. wouldn't. Uh, you know, even though I'm making less than that. I, I just don't see the advantage of going to the States at all. I mean, it's, it's really uh, mm-hmm. become to me, anyway, a dangerous place. And I hope it changes. But speaking of the dangerous places, did you know that apparently a lot of countries are like, quote unquote, shithole oh, countries? I was, oh. I was just about to talk about this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is, of course, oh, from our, <laughs> well, our the, the president, Donald yeah. Trump. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. Oh. <laughs> oh, uh, so, so apparently, it was, it was. We got to talk about this a bit. Um, it was uh, leaked that Donald Trump referred to some countries, uh, Haiti in particular, and other African countries and all that as uh, "quote unquote" shithole countries. Um, first that of all, very presidential of him. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, okay, I'm, I'm on the fence on something like this because first of all, people are saying, "Well, Donald Trump is racist." Well, duh. <laughs> Duh, really? This is no big news now. Now, in history, we, we're in a particular time in history, right? Where, where media is so advanced and so quick that uh, these things come out really quickly. Uh, there, there was a lot of presidents in, in, that 
the, this this kind of information comes out like years after they've been present. Yeah. And you know, I don't. Lyndon Johnson, for example, Nancy, you'll agree with me. Lyndon Johnson was crude as a man. He was very crude. I mean, there are stories of Lyndon Johnson having meetings while he's actually on the shitter, <laughs> and the door's wide open, and he's discussing laws with people. That's amazing. Oh, he had a very colorful that's, uh, vocabulary. Yeah, There's uh, no doubt about it. And he's discussing how big strange. his junk is and stuff like that. This is Lyndon Johnson. But uh, the, 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 the thing is, this information came out years after he was president because... That's just strange. Had Twitter been there at the time of Lyndon Johnson, you would have seen these kind of same things too. So I understand Trump saying, you know, shithole country. And I'm sure many people have said these kind of crude things about other countries as well. Oh, these idiots and whatever. You know, all these freaking Canadians or whatever. It was behind closed doors. He was in a closed door meeting. Exactly. But he was in a closed door meeting in in a public meeting that had to do with policy and it had to do with um, with the government of the United States. Therefore, it really wasn't a closed door meeting and in terms of, of privacy. He was being paid by the by the the citizens of the United States to to run the, the government as president, and therefore everything he does is on is on the record. And it also, I think, what makes it worse is the context that he was saying it in because it was like oh we don't we like because it was like why don't people from like norway immigrate and not people from these i think i think that brings up an interesting question and then uh, americans have to really seriously nobody wants to move to america why would someone (laughs) from a scandinavian country or norway (laughs) want to move to the united states they have free health care in norway they have an excellent education system they have a, a wonderful justice and they system. have reindeer. Uh, they're, they're one of the they're one of the top countries in the world to live in. Mm-hmm. Why would they ever think of immigrating? Because to the United America States? thinks they're the best. I'm pointing yeah. on that. Why would they ever want to leave? Well, that's what I'm saying. And go why would anywhere. They want to leave Norway. Norway yeah. is a wonderful place to live. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe maybe the Americans don't realize that they are not number one in the world as much as they love to believe it and love the, to the, say it. The only thing that America is number one in, I'm sorry, guys, but it's self confidence. Yeah. Or gun. <laughs> no, I think, I think uh, North Korea's got that. No, but, but but like no, I'm not talking about like the like the head person. But I mean like as a population. As a population, oh, yeah. They they always rank highest in self confidence. Yeah, so, thinking that they're the best. Wonder uh, why? I'm, as, but as, nothing as, else. Uh, America for the longest time has always had this line of we're number one, we're number one, and to the point that they own, they've believed their own line. Their own selling point, mm-hmm. and I think that's become a bit dangerous for them because now they still think they're number one, and somehow the rest of the world is like way behind, and they still think they're the, the shiny beacon on the on top of the hill, and they're not. And it's maybe time for them to wake up this reality. Well, I think the danger is, and you have somebody like like Trump who doesn't hesitate um, saying things that are offensive to anybody, whether it's a, a country he disagrees with. I mean, the man knows nothing. He just knows how to throw one epithet after another uh, and, yeah. and, 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 and fight battles that are in his own mind. But the danger is, is that the leadership of no one in, the, in either party, in the leadership in Congress, is standing up and condemning what he's 
says and apologizing and taking the high road, which they should, for what Trump is saying and doing. They're complicit in what he is doing to undermine the democracy um, in the United States. And this, to me, is a, is a bigger, bigger danger. It, it's almost like, and I, I hesitate to use this analogy because so many people do, but it's almost like the good people in Germany that stood by yes. and watched Hitler take over Congress yeah. because of their political greed and their individual ambitions is standing by and allowing this man to do what he needs, what he, he is compelled to do out of his own mental illness because they want to profit by it. Mm. And that's the danger. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm defending Trump here when he says shithole. Um, I do think that the, they have for a president a guy who's got no valve. He's got no swish to turn to. Yeah. You know, nice. No speech. filter. Because I know that every politician, like every person, you know, uh, even amongst us, you know, right now, of course, we're watching on language. We're not swearing. But you should hear Nancy after the show is no, done. No, no. My God, me. she's like a total sailor. <laughs> I know. I have to put the earplugs in when we oh, yeah. the like, Oh, my God. I think it comes down to there's kind of there's a time and a place. Exactly. Like, you exactly. don't do crazy stuff when you're at work, but you might, you know, Speak party and stuff. Well, except for Scott. <laughs> but, you know, you can go party on your own time, but you're not going to be partying at work. Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I don't know what job you do, Scott, but like, I'm kind no of interested in There's no problem with having a bit of guy. fun, but, safety you guys know, party, like there's nobody. a time and a place for everything yeah exactly so i i totally agree so i the fact that he said that is not a big deal to me and the fact that it, he's dumb enough not to realize he should not have said that during a meeting with mm-hmm. other politicians is uh because i'm sure that you know even barack obama although he was very eloquent i'm pretty sure with him and joe once in a while I say, oh my god these freaking pakistanis and what a bunch of idiots or something like that he, he must have said something like that because it's how you normally talk with people yeah but when you get in front of the other representatives something like that you, you, you kind of have to be the politician putting the switch on and you, you use your nice voice you know? well, the, nice the, other, the other thing is as well is that unfortunately trump is following a pattern of of behavior and statements that you know have gone on for a year and it's becoming obvious it was obvious at the beginning that the man is a racist right. and and so you know it's if someone says something in in private that's one thing but to just you know uh, offend you know it's, all of the countries that we're trying to establish relations well, that we have relationships it's with. They're you know they're calling in their ambassadors and saying, uh, "Excuse me, you're representing the United States." Exactly what is it that the yeah. United States is representing well, these days? Th- this is interesting. What was the speech? There was a speech that was given long ago in the United States history, where it was, "Bring us your poor, bring us your." Uh, no, that's this was a, this was written on the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, it's, that's on the. But that was an actual speech, was it not? No, oh, it's not. No, it's it, just, it's it's the, just the, the French put that on the. They, they put that yeah. on there. So it's interesting that the United States, for how long has the Statue of Liberty been in? That's a good question. Since it, I think it's, well, I think you it's were part of the crew that installed it. Yeah, I, I think it's around 1911, 12. I don't. Uh, it's, I'm, it's I'm a long really time. unsure. So a hundred years, years, the yeah. United States has had this immigration policy. Where yes, well, it's, hey, everybody, this is the shining beacon of hope. Come to the United States. Yeah. Bring, you know, if, if you're poor, you have opportunity here. If you're, And in one statement, Trump has let us know exactly where the United States stands now. 
and it isn't what's written on that statue. You, you get the impression that the United States is like that drunk person that invites you to a party, and then when they come back the and next morning, say, "Who the hell are you? And how did you get here?" It's like, "Well, get out!" You know, they were like too wasted. This whole time. I have to correct myself. I don't know whether the French put that on. I know the author of that was Emma Lazarus, and she could have okay. been from See, the this U.S. Is good education I, I right now. That part of it, I can't remember. Yeah, Nancy so, was so the United States, the but they lived by that of of. You know, immigration to the United States was how the United States built itself. Oh, yeah. And now Trump is turning around and, and in one statement, he's completely flipped that on its head and said, no, 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 we don't want people from the shithole countries. We only want the good people to come. Yeah, exactly. And then after World War II, since he was from Germany and considered that an asshole, people considered that an asshole. He told people that yeah. he and his family were really from Sweden. And, you know, oh, I, I, like I was posting on the, on the uh, social media this week when they were talking about the shithole. I said, have you seen places like Detroit? Talk yeah. about shithole. You want to talk about a shithole? You want to talk about ghetto? You know, there's there's tons. A Flynn, Flynn, Michigan. You want you, you want to talk about Flint? T- Flint, Flint sorry. not Flynn. Flint, I'm Flint, Michigan. Flint. You know where they still have the poison water? You want to talk about shithole? Yeah. Oh, look at your own a, country. Took a, take a good look at your country. You know, LA oh, and New York oh, are not the only two about, things. Let's talk about oh, what's the island that still doesn't have power? Uh, Puerto, Puerto, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. That's right. See, we don't even remember the name of it yeah. because it's uh, they push it right to the background. Yeah, so Puerto Rico's an American what do they colony. Call that? No, no, no. Oh, it's a, it's a territory. 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 It's an American territory, and they've basically because there's the Puerto Rico's basically a very poor territory. Oh, don't work. Just, just oh my God, why do we even deal with them? Why can't they just fall into the ocean? Where's their right? president? <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love how Trump was like, I'm going to meet the the Puerto Rican president. It's like, um, you are, you the, are the Puerto, Puerto Rican president. Like, have you looked in a mirror lately? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think he has. Maybe it's, he should. It's just, It'd probably uh, crack. It makes me sad. <laughs> it, it really does. Uh, Trump, uh, not Trump, just the general state of affairs. It makes me sad. Yes, in the U.S. The it's, U.S. It's used scary. to be the greatest country in the world. And they have fallen so far. It, it will. There's a pendulum. It will start turning. I hope you're and right. hopefully, the midterms will start. The it, it has to turn. It really does. This. I mean, if it's an aberration, really, in in, in terms of the the democracy, the, the process of democracy in, in the United States. The, the the problem is how much damage is going to have to be um, taken care of. Well, after I, after this guy is out of I, office, I think right now what the states is going through with Trump is such a it's such a test for dem- democracy mm. and a country that's had democracy working for like a hundred years to have this authorita- authoritarian personality come in and see if that democracy can withstand him. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, I think unfortunately most Americans have a tendency to like authoritarian figures yeah. like that. So, anyway, come to Canada. We have stronger beer and uh, hockey. Poutine. We have poutine. And hockey is just way better than baseball. Whichever and and Tim Hortons. Better coffee. That's right. <laughs> All right, my dear Nancy, are you ready for another uh, top ten? Uh... I am, and I'm going to give you guys a choice. Ooh. I began to think that with this um, awful weather that the rain and the ice and the, the cold freezing rain yeah canadians yes. who can you know like to leave and and go to a warmer climate someplace oh, I so i began right to think well maybe it would be fun to do a top 10 
on the 10 um, uh, warmest countries to go to, countries that will really, you know, give you the sun and the, the, the feeling of warmth that you want. And then I thought, well, should I do, should we do a top 10 having to do with the, with the vacation destinations, or should we do a top 10 having to do with the hottest places in the world? So I'll let you guys choose. You want to do vacation destination top 10 or the hottest countries in the world top 10? I vote vacation. I vote vacation. Because yeah. you know what? We could all use a vacation right now. Okay. Well, goodbye, <laughs> hot countries. <laughs> I want right. honeymoon Save options. that one, Nancy. Save right. that one. Now, uh, because everybody usually thinks of Mazatlan, I looked for top 10s that were alternatives to to Mazatlan. And so the top 10 comes from Conti Nast, which is a, a travel site that, okay. that most people are familiar with. So it's a legitimate. Uh, is this a top type. 10 like destination Canadians like or top 10 destination well, top 10, I think that Canadians well if Canadians would like it because they want to go someplace warm I think it would be like North America in okay. places because North Canadians America. are much bigger travelers than the US yeah. Americans don't travel very much mm-hmm. they, no. they travel within the US but, these but are, outside the US they don't yeah no these are sites that, that would be in, in, in definitely on a, on a radar for, for Canadians so we'll start with number 10 which is Rajas, Rajasthan? How do you Rajasthan? say? Yeah, it's in India. It's in Jaipur, part of India. We have a lot of people who come from India and in yeah. Canada. So that's the number ten favorite. Um, not a favorite, but it's a, it's a place that people really should consider, and it's becoming in the top ten. Okay. It's the um, the state is um, called the India State of Princes, and it's spectacular in January. Warm, the crowds have vanished, and you can dance through the, all the palaces, and um, you can uh, uh, have a um, uh, a lot of treasures there in looking at the scenery, which is supposed to be wonderful and January provides a perfect weather for Arabian night style safari in one of the other close by states where you can traverse the desert on the back of a camel and sleep under the stars so that's a destination for people to to consider it's supposed to be very warm and very beautiful how warm is it? Does it say? How warm? No, it doesn't say how warm it is. But <laughs> I, I have a certain tolerance of warmth. Anything yeah. above twenty Celsius, I'm like, yeah, yeah okay. I would, I would say probably in the <laughs> Celsius, probably in the high twenties, somewhere, somewhere That's there. That's not too bad. And then, of course, number nine, we have to include Mexico. But really, one, that's only number nine. Number I nine. That would be higher. There is a place in Mexico where that is called. Tulum, T-U-L-U-M. Mm-hmm. Has anyone heard of, of that? Nope. This is supposed to be a really oh. great destination. It's on the coast, and um, everything is uh, light and color. It's warm. It's exuberant people. There are parties on the beach, yoga under the trees. Um, there's uh, uh, a, a lot of little islands close by, and it's off the tip of the Yucatan Peninsula. Yes. So you've heard of it. I've, and, been, I've been there, actually. Yeah. Uh, there are resorts at, um, that are near the Riviera Maya mm-hmm. for colonial Mexico, and over on the west coast, there's another place called Sayulita. I'm going to murder okay. everything. Anyway, it's it's supposed to be really, really wonderful. 
in, in this time of year. Number eight to consider is Bruges in um, Belgium. Mm. And this is a beautiful little Belgium city, and it's uh, supposed to be one of the rare places that is just as enticing in midwinter as in the summer. Very pretty in the snow. Um, and uh, the um, the snow is e- an excellent excuse for holing up in a really wonderful place where you can sit by by the fire. But it's supposed to be really gorgeous there. A lot of taverns, a lot of Belgian beer. That's and used to nice. be a travel agent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guest houses, though. canals, candlelit bars, restaurants, um, lots of wonderful food, and you can go on a long weekend and see everything. So these are top 10 places that um, we're not really used to hearing but no. but they're in the world where maybe people should explore a little little more okay number seven South Africa and it's called Clifton Beach in South Africa. Has anyone heard of nope. heard of that? Um, there are a lot of reasons to go there: food, wine, beaches, hotels, sensational scenery. Um, it's on the the Western Cape, complete with wildlife encounters on safari, staying at lodges. Um, you can go along the coastline, and there's supposed to be a lot of really great villas. Um, and January is one of the best months for all of those things. Good wine. Wine, and uh, you don't—it's—it's uh, uh, it's a place where um, you know there's a lot of things that people aren't aren't used to thinking about in in terms of South Africa. And so probably that's probably penguins. Let's let's agree with Turks. <laughs> yeah, number six is Thailand. Thailand is heavenly in January. It's peak season. Very popular around here. Very popular. Bangkok is about as pleasant as it's it's going to get. So that's a place that, uh, well, Thailand is becoming a really big tourist destination. Yeah, and January is a wonderful time to think about that. Belize is number five. Hot and humid, and it rains a lot. Oh, yes. They have some tropical storms, but it's a perfect Caribbean escape. Uh, for those who like uh, rough and palm fringed around the edges and there's some jungly highlands and Mayan ruins so that's supposed to be that's what attracts yeah, people. Yeah, that would attract people. Belize is supposed beautiful. to be a really beautiful place to Yeah, go. number four Australia's Gold Coast that's supposed to be great um, Sydney uh, throws possibly the best New Year's Day party in the world and uh, still going on in the month of January. Doesn't everything in Australia want to kill you? Yeah, you can go up the Gold Coast to Well, everything does, but they're just really rare. Yeah, so that's supposed to be wonderful. Number three, um, Burma. Burma. Mm. Burma, and that's um, considered to be number three of the top ten places to go in January. January is the best month. Very little rain, lots of sunshine, lots of heat, um, and they have pagodas and temples and misty mountains, and it's where the Himalayas begin, so it's supposed to be really, really wonderful. So that's, that's great. Number two to consider is the coast of Brazil. Mm. Mm. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, Rio de Janeiro, Sao Paulo. Blame it on Rio. 
Yeah, there you go. Um, it's supposed to be a lot of um, bikini chat, bikini All right, beaches. All right, scantily clad ladies. Yeah, golden sand, Down shadows, boys. palm trees, turquoise waters. Supposed to be wonderful. And the first place to go on holidays. Anybody want to guess? This is really you got that smirk. You're gonna see Canada, aren't you? Yeah, you think I would? <laughs> I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess Moscow. No, what yeah. the hell's no. wrong with you? No. Moscow? Okay. He, I'm muting his button. The number one destination that people really should consider is Nicaragua. Ooh. Whoa. Is no. it, did not see that coming. I didn't yeah, see that coming no. either. It's a Central American country. Of course American not. You said country. Moscow. So, no. <laughs> I was joking, Kevin. It's supposed to be the Central American country that has everything. Tropical rainforests, untouched beaches, palm trees, volcanoes, uh, eco lodges. And January has the double blessing of being the month when the best temperatures are everywhere and the least Rain, uh, rain, rainfalls. So you can go to Managua, Nicaragua, and that's supposed to be the number one destination. So, where nice. would you guys go? No, that's anywhere let's that it's raining. Any place where it isn't raining. Like no, no, no. Where, any where it is raining. Oh, where it is raining. <laughs> well, you might as well stay home. <laughs> it's, no, no, not freezing rain. Oh, cold. Like, where, where, where would you go? That's that mm. tropical. If it, oh, wet. I want green tropical trees. I don't want heat and horses. I need cold. You know, okay. I'm Canadian. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, there's something about. I, I agree. I don't there's like There's something heat. about being in a in a tropical location, jungle maybe. Where the rain is falling and it's like 27 degrees Celsius and 100% humidity. No. Oh, I just sounds. On. I don't Horrible. do humidity. Sounds like it's on. Also, do you want to know what they have in abundance in tropical locations? Mosquitoes. Ants. Oh, and ants. Oh, yes. Oh. 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 I am and terrified mosquitoes. of ants. Mosquitoes with nice diseases. Yeah, no, hilarious. I don't do mosquitoes. I'll, I'll stick with the far north hemisphere. <laughs> See, it depends on what kind of uh, well, travel you are. Central America, South America, and North America are starting to get all the killer bees too, right? So, Ooh, yeah, you got that to worry about. North Ooh. Hemisphere. I'll go to Iceland, guys. Yeah, I'll go to Iceland. Iceland. <laughs> uh, Iceland sounds like an awesome bit. They got the hot springs. Heck, actually, yeah. that, actually Reykjavik, Iceland stuff. is on several lists. Mm-hmm. It oh, depends. Yeah. On, the interesting thing is you can go to three lists and and the top ten is completely yeah. Yeah. different I, I, on I, all I, I want to go. So, and stay in those like glass igloos that you can watch Ooh. the north, um, the, the, uh, the, the northern lights, northern lights. the aurora borealis. Yeah, uh, it depends what kind of traveler you are. I mean, for myself, I'm not much of a beach person. If I spend no. one afternoon on the beach, no. I'm, I'm, I'm I rather I rather go hiking I, on a mountain. I like to explore. Right. Yeah. So when I went to Mexico, I went to Mexico several years ago. It was one of the best damn things I ever did because what I said, I said to everybody, I went around Christmas time. I said to everybody, don't invite me to parties, don't buy me Christmas gifts, and I went to Mexico for Christmas. Where did nice. you go? Uh, uh, to the, the Mayan Riviera. There. Yeah. Okay. And I, you know, we did some snorkeling and I was exploring the uh, the pyramids of Egbalam. It was fantastic, wow. fantastic time. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would totally redo it again. So, but you know, the heat, I'm like I'm a bit like Christina in that sense. You know, if it gets to 25 to 29 degrees, which was the weather there, That's it was so perfect. Yeah. It's about as perfect if, as it if gets. It's not, yeah, if it's not humid, 25 to 29 is just... Oh, it was just perfect. You know, yeah. the rest, after that, it just gets too hot. Yeah. So, in Celsius. In America, yeah. I'm not sure I how mean, it is. If you want hot, for if you want hot Australia is the place to go for hot. Yeah, no. Yeah. You, hit yeah. The, you can hit so the desert in Australia, and they're hitting like 43, no, 44, they ha- Last degrees. year, they had to create a new level 50. on their scale because it hit 50. Oh, my... It 50 hit degrees 50? Celsius? 
That's so gross. So yeah, if you like heat, I mean, <laughs> Australia yeah, is One of these days we'll I'll do the top ten hottest places <laughs> yeah. in the world. Yeah, and, and uh, to respond to your, 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 what you were saying there about uh, Australia, about everything wanted to kill you there, I had this conversation, this exact conversation with an Australian, and at the, I asked I, that very question. I said, how do you feel about living in a country where you had, you know, like deadly scorpions yeah. and deadly spiders and deadly poisonous snakes? And he looked at me and says, what are you, what are you talking about? You guys have wolves and bears and yeah, moose in your li- country. They live in the forest. Yeah, but they kind of feel the same and way And they're too, right? big. Yeah, you can see them cougar, coming. Except when that cougar or that bear decides to come into town. Yeah. yeah. Or or if you live in the country like I did. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you're walking outside. And you're, oh, that's a cougar. <laughs> I should probably oh, go inside. I'm, animals I'm, pick, I'm, you know what? The I'm average. Dude, I was six. Yep. Yeah. I was six, and there was a cougar, and I'm like, doo, doo, doo. What, bar, <laughs> go what bar were you at? Hmm? What, what bar were you at? Yeah, I remember, you know, as a kid, just walking outside with my dog, and oh, look, ten or, feet away, there's a or bear. My that, aunt that had my my aunt had a bear knock on her door once. You know, like I think we might have had the same thing. Knock. Wonder if it was the same bear. <laughs> that that, re- that I had a story. And she opened the door. I had a story relayed to me about a couple of Australians from a university that were doing a study, and they were, they went into Northern Ontario in the spring. Oh, and the people oh. in Northern Ontario went, "Are you sure? Did are you sure you want to do this?" Mosquitoes. And what they got was, "Ah, oh, mate, don't worry about us. We're fine. We're from Australia. There's uh, nothing here that can hurt us." Uh, <laughs> and I guess they're too challenge accepted. They challenge accepted. <laughs> Canada accepted it quite well. They lasted two days out of the two weeks, and they came running out of the bush. Because the bugs were so bad, they said, you can keep Canada. <laughs> the the oh. black flies, right? The black oh, flies in that, yeah. yeah. See, if it's... The, they might have all of, like, the poisonous and venomous critters down there. But we have the larger, you know, the... The moose. The ones that rely on their, their strength and their intelligence, not their um, ability to poison you and just watch you die. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, and, and There's and work we have, involved in this have, one. And we have copious quantities of black flies and mosquitoes. In, yes. From about Manitoba over to Newfoundland. That's why I'm going to stay and on the, the flies, West Coast. The black flies and mosquitoes are so bad that if you go out and you are not protected, you will be desiccated within three days. I despise <laughs> mosquitoes on such an incredible level. I guess if that's why have... it's not on the destination it's list. Not, not the de- yeah, Northern Ontario and Quebec are not they, on the destination. I feel like they beeline for me in a group of people. It's terrible. Oh, yeah. You're just very yeah. tasty. Tasty and black flies it's are interesting. She's a hotter I've... run. She, she runs um, like temperature wise. Yeah. Hot. And my poor kid in Nova Scotia, my poor kid used to come. Your poor kid. Him, the poor kid. You'd let him outside, and uh, 15 minutes later, he would come to the door, and there would He's be beat. blood. There would be blood streaming from his skull. And oh. you were like, what did you do to your son? It was black fly bites. Oh. Was <laughs> no. No, I just, want, I just want to make sure the audience doesn't think that you use that poor kid as bait. <laughs> Outside, That's so right. the, the black right. flies are black going flies to him, and then you can him, walk And then out. we would be left alone to sit and sip our rums. <laughs> All right, let's At move seven on. in the morning. Let's move on to what we always love to do. Another brilliant moment. Brought to you by religion. All right. <laughs> uh, did you guys hear that the uh, Supreme Court in the U.S. is refusing to hear challenges to a Mississippi law that allows businesses and government employees to deny services to the LGBT? Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Gosh, America, get with the 21st century already. <laughs> no, no, they, 
they're they're on their way back to the 12th well, what century. Was the, what was the final... The, the Supreme Court isn't hearing it. What was the final ruling by the... the uh, well, the Mississippi, Mississippi the has, was has a law has a law that basically they called it the Protecting Freedom of Conscience from Government Discrimination Act. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which allows state employees, corporation individuals, and healthcare providers and non-profit organizations to use religion as a justification to discriminate against nearly anyone. Same-sex couples, single mothers, divorcees, and anyone who has had sex outside of marriage. Oh, whoa! Uh-huh. Seriously? How would they know? Mississippi. So, Mississippi. Yeah. So, wait a minute. So, How many people do they actually this- serve? I, well, I was thinking about this. And could this actually be turned around if the LGBT community from around the U.S. got together and pooled money and started buying businesses? Could this be turned around and actually reverse discrimination so that it forced the law? Because you know damn well that if the Christians started getting discriminated against, well, well would, all hell would break. They already well, think they are. They do. But, but so Mississippi has the law and. Did it, it went to... It went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said... No, no, before gonna... it went to the Supreme Court, where did it go? Oh, that's a good question. The, the, the article doesn't say, unfortunately. So you, so you do... Because it has to go... You know, it has to go through, through the, the different levels to the of circuit court. court. Yeah. It uh, apparently... I was reading up on this, and uh, it went to the Supreme Court. I thought it was the Supreme Court, and they... They overtook. There was an injunction, or there was a, a yeah. against the law, and the next level of court basically overturned it and said, "No, that yeah. that injunction is not going to stand. The law stands." Right. And apparently, yeah, they have to. They, there's one more step they can go. They can go one step. Yeah, because it would seem as though that that law has been overturned in Supreme Court. Says we've got nothing else to add. We've already been well, there, they, done they that. Put, so th- they put the law in, and then somebody filed an injunction against it. Right. One of the courts turned around and said, "You can't do that." Right. Now the higher court has turned around and said, "No, that judge was out of line. You can do that." Well, it's not. It's not yes, but discreet. the Supreme Court can refuse to hear it because they agree now, that. Yeah, the Supreme Court's refused to hear it. Now. Right. Said, as no, it, we're not going to. As right. it stands, the law right now promises that the state government will not punish people who refuse to provide services to people because of religious opposition to same-sex marriage, extramarital sex, or transgender people. In fact, in Mississippi, women can now be fired for wearing pants. What? No, I think that, I think that, that is the stupidest no, that thing. Has to, that's going to be overturned. Or that, having premarital that, sex my, under the new sweeping new now. religious freedom law designed yeah. to allow discrimination against the LGBT. No, they're they're doing their best to say but, this is our stance, but, but it's not going to stand. It's not going the, to the law reads yeah. and and I didn't read I didn't read what you did Kevin I I read that it was basically the government's not going to interfere with those quasi religious decisions so if a business decides because of your affiliation that they don't want to serve you the government's not going to step in and say hey we're going to levy fines against you that's great but what if the LGBT community was to start opening businesses and when a Christian walks in say no, fuck you. We're not serving you. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, yeah, well, now, that's, that's, that's what I'm wondering. Like, if that it's, was to start happening, yeah, it's then the they same would have thing. to open it up. But then they would have to open the uh, law up. And well, you know, damn well the court would side with the Christians, yeah. which would mean that if they uphold it for the Christians, they have to uphold it for the LGBT. Well, I, it may be because we're but getting into territory that you know, I'm not, you know, I, I can't talk about because I don't know enough. But it could be that the Supreme Court 
turned this down because they're hearing the masterpiece cake um, uh, uh, case, yes. which oh, has to do with with the this, and so yeah. that it may be that that's already on the docket, so that would so fit they're, under they're just the not same. Deal with it. Yeah. Well, well this is is this know. the specifically the Mississippi Supreme Court, whereas the. The um, the cake case is through the American Supreme Court, so they're different. They're yeah. different Supreme Courts. Yeah, but the federal. See, the federal would actually oh, set. Oh, yeah, yeah. It just it just says yeah, it just says Supreme Court. So I think it's the state Supreme Court. I would yeah. Think. So, but but the if the with the it's masterpiece cake. That's that case. That that will be for the whole merit United yeah, States. Yeah. That's the Supreme Court yeah. of the United States. But then a challenge could be mounted in Mississippi based on the United States Supreme Court findings. Yeah. yeah. Constitutional. So, it's confusing. There's Supreme not Court. enough. Well, there's not enough yeah. information yeah. for us to really. I say we start pooling money. We do a GoFundMe page <laughs> and we start buying business or forming businesses in Mississippi or where where is this? It's in Mississippi. Mississippi. And start forming businesses there and refuse to serve Christians. So I, I'm I'm curious. Because um, I've actually been having this conversation with my twin <laughs> sister. Yeah, I was thinking of that too. Do like, what do you guys think about governments having specific groups you can't discriminate against? All groups should not be discriminated. Well, but what what I mean what I mean is because there are groups that do get discriminated more, like based on like your religion, yeah. your sexuality. Because like in Canada, you can't discriminate against people. Anyone. Well, yeah. There, those are well, but the thing grounds. is, you you can discriminate, like, because you can like say, oh, I'm not going to hire you because of your criminal record. Like, there are things that you can discriminate against. Well, okay, but a criminal record is not considered discrimination. Exactly. Because someone who has yeah. a criminal record They've done is something. showing is showing that they're not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And a, a great many jobs, like if if you were a thief. You and couldn't, I'm, yeah, And I'm totally. hiring you into a payroll position. Do you think I'm going to hire you no. into a payroll position? You're not qualified. No. Yeah. <laughs> this is why, this is why when they say the law, they say you cannot discriminate on the basis of yeah. gender. Yeah, there's, there's, so right. there's you grounds, Do you think, right? like, a government should put that into law? Put, put what into what law? Into Saying that you can't discriminate against people. The protected people. classes. They already have it. No, 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 but I'm just curious. If, if, if they were there. to redo the government, should yeah. they do that? Well, yes. I, th- I think it depends on your population and the, le- mm-hmm. le- the level of maturity. We've obviously proven ourselves not mature yeah. enough to not have a government authority impose oh. something like that mm-hmm. on us. Because I personally 100% think that and, and this is government should put that in place. something that you can't change about yourself. Yeah, okay? totally. The fact that you're gay, you cannot change that. That is not something... You're black. You what can't you, change what if you the color of your skin. Yeah. So things that are just part of a, a you as a human being... Mm-hmm. They are not allowed to discriminate. Mm-hmm. You've got red hair. Oh, we don't. We don't yeah. hire gingers. They have well, no soul. Not my, allowed to say that. The, the reason I ask that. is because my twin sister actually thinks that government shouldn't. Uh, she's a libertarian. Put, the, they, they put should, that they, into law. But they already do. I mean, they're already yeah. are anti-discrimination. Well, so I don't understand. And, and they, my, the, my twin sister thinks the thinks free market. Oh, she yeah. thinks but the free the market should be the only thing. The I know. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you know, and I know, right? Yeah, yeah. like yeah. I, I, I've been having a very long conversation with her. You should tell her to move to Honduras. So what you need to do is bring out... Are you talking about laws in Canada or in the U.S.? Well, the... Any government. She doesn't think any well, government should put. Th- then you just in need law. to show her the Constitution and yeah. and say it already is. No, in but the she she thinks uh, that, she thinks that any like in a government like 
they are just they shouldn't do that. Right. Well, she's entitled to I know. her Kevin, opinion. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin said <laughs> it may this. not be correct, but Kevin, she's certainly <laughs> entitled. Kevin said it very well, and I think he was he was one hundred percent right. Damn right. We are not mature enough as a species. Yeah. As people, we're not mature enough, and and I think the best way of of describing what your sister believes in is back when Germany was taking the uh, Jews off to the concentration camps and they were taking um, they were taking people who had physical deformities they were taking people who had different religions they were taking people who had whatever didn't fit their little plan was going off to the concentration camps and there was a speech made by uh, there was something written by someone I don't know if it was a poem or a speech oh it's like uh, when they came for first they came for the unionists yeah Mm -hmm. right then they came for the nationalists then they came for the and And, and, but when when they came for me yeah when I finally turned around when they came for me there was no one left to to fight for me exactly and this is what that promotes if you don't put those laws in place to say hey you know what you can't discriminate against a person for what that person is for Mm -hmm. who they are you cannot do that. Well, yeah, there's so things the you can't control. So the person's black, the person has red hair, the person's yeah. uh, religion, we, we protect religion, and I don't think we should, um, because that's a belief that the person forms, yeah. right? That it's not part of who they are, it's something that they become, and they can easily unbecome it. Yeah. The way I look at the religion um, part of that is, um, if it's, if you're, why would you apply for a job that goes against something you believe in your religion? That just seems kind of stupid yeah, well, and backwards and to that's, me. That's true. Um... But then you're limiting some... I mean, maybe somebody feels that they can serve the public, whether it's a Christian or a Muslim or a, And it doesn't matter if it was a Muslim applying for a job in a Christian place, but they can still serve the public in that capacity. Yeah. Well, no, it, it shouldn't have to do who, with... Who are you people? We're having way more discussion about something like this today than we ever have before. Who are you people? <laughs> I mean, I know... This is, this is serious stuff. Well, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I've no. been having like a week long... It like, has been an ongoing conversation. I think it's a, it's a, a Trump, glass table it's a Trump conversation. It's a Trump effect. Wow. It's a Trump Nancy, effect. Nancy, you might... I blame everything on Trump. I can see Trump. the studies from major universities about the Trump effect. <laughs> let, me move, let me move on to another story okay. would be... Because <laughs> we, could, we could have a whole show taken. on this. Clock is taking here. We love you, Kevin. So, we could do a show on this. We should. You guys hear about Paula White? No. Who's Paula White? She's a prosperity gospel minister who has often served as a spiritual advisor. Oh to my gosh. Yes, I have heard oh, about no. this. Well, now White is raising <laughs> eyebrows with a new scheme that involves asking her oh. followers to send her up to a full month's salary or else face consequences I, <laughs> I hate I hate these Tidings? people I hate them so much you know, I was thinking of crafting a letter to our um, audience asking them to send us you know or else there will be consequences send us a month send us a Patreon guys that's right I, I've got it we'll do a GoFundMe <laughs> save my soul <laughs> send me a month yeah. of your salary all Christians please send me a month of your salary and then I'll go to you church you will help save my soul and then after a couple of months you just say I'm sorry it's not working no. So you just have to send more. No, I'll, I'll do one. I'll do one better. Uh, you know what? You send me a month salary. Every Christian send me one salary, and I will show up to church every Sunday. I do. I it. will do it. I'd ask questions. That's, you know what? You wouldn't oh, have I'd to, do to it. work anymore. That would be I, worth it. I don't know why you people have such a narrow 
prejudiced view. I'll accept money from anybody. I just, you know, it really doesn't make any difference what their religion, where they come from. I'm so open-minded. Just send the money. It's all green. Send it. And not all of it's green. Well, we have purple money. Purple money. We we have rainbow money. Because it's, look, the American dollar is worth way more than our Canadian peso. Totally. That's right. an American dollar in my wallet. Right. Or donut buck. <laughs> donut buck. So Paula White basically says, quote, all first belong to God, she says. When you honor this principle, it provides a foundation and structure for God's blessing and promises in your life. It unlocks deep dimensions of spiritual truth that literally transform your life. When you apply this to everything, uh, when you apply this, everything comes in, in divine alignment for his plan and promises to you. God needs money. That's right. God needs money, right? Carlin called it, man. Yeah. Also, White, uh, however, White also warns that bad things could happen to followers who don't send her money this oh. month because to not do so would contradict God's word. That's right. They might oh get hit by God. a bus when they step off the curb. Send the money to us instead. Praise be to the almighty dollar. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> It's always been the true religion. Of I, yeah, but I want world, to say, aren't you a little curious as to who would actually put the money in an envelope and send it to People her? who are gullible and, and desperate. That's the lots worst part. Of, yeah. It's taking advantage of it, the desperate. It's the people who are least able to give it. You know how easy, if I didn't have a conscience, yeah. it would be to for me to make money? All I would have to say is, hey, you know what? I used to be an atheist podcaster, but then I saw the light yeah. and it was You'd beautiful. Be and be I became. Oh, I mean, totally. Rich. I, I could totally make a ton of money. Yeah, you tell but, like but how like you were in the bottom so... of depths of despair. Yes, that would in be that so... moment you fell on your knees. Oh, I was speaking the devil's word through this microphone, and I was just oh, I couldn't believe it. Well, then back, Jesus came. Back in the back in the eighties in Dallas, there used to be a televangelist uh, <clears throat> whose name was Robert Tilton, and he he really achieved quite a bit of fame and fortune. And I actually attended one of his services, but that's a whole other story. But he he was one of those prosperity guys that said, "Put your money and and will in a prayer request." And so he got like a ton of money and all of these prayer requests and his downfall began when some investigative reporter and I don't I don't know exactly who or the circumstances but they actually were looking in his dumpster and found all of the prayer requests in the dumpster oh all gosh. open with the money removed yep. and that was that was the start of his downfall <laughs> it's always been well thank you so much for that guys we're way behind schedule so let's go let's go on a break we have a schedule <laughs> sort of so let's go on break and when we come back we'll be with Damien Gillis talk about the wild salmon so stay with us interested in a particular topic you ever wonder where we find all this information the common sense canadian is a forum for critical discussion of the key issues shaping our world today water energy food security and how we manage our resources to the public benefit while preserving our environment so go to commonsensecanadian.ca it's uncommonly sensible All right, joining us on the line right now, we have our old friend Damien Gillis. He is a filmmaker extraordinaire and probably one of the best voices we ever had the pleasure of having on the show. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Damien, thank you so much for joining us yet again on Left of the Valley. My pleasure, Kevin. Thank you. Damien, today we wanted to discuss something that, you know, that kind of flies under the radar, but here affects us a lot of people on the West Coast from all the way here in BC, all the way down to California and even further, the plight of wild salmon. 
and you've been following this story very carefully. I have for 10 years now. Now you've taken me all around the world. In fact, uh, because of the interrelationship between the wild salmon and farmed salmon, which is, you know, an industry run out of Norway, but it, it happens in Chile and Scotland and Ireland and Canada as well. Yes, yes. It's it's a huge industry, and uh, you've noticed over the time when you've been investigating the industry, there's some um, interesting things going on with that, and you've been writing some articles lately of, uh, from the uh, to the Tai about what's going on with the wild salmon. So maybe you can explain in our words what you've seen over the years and where you think the industry is standing right now. Well, we know the wild salmon has been in uh, pretty steady decline over the years, and of course there are many different runs um five or six different species depending on whether you count steelhead uh and, and many different rivers and streams up and down the coast and into the heartland of bc so uh you know there, there are a lot of different issues going on in different places um but what what i've been doing of late is really looking back through um the lens of of government officials who are supposed to be regulating the farm salmon industry and protecting and conserving wild fish. What I've been looking at, I've been going through hundreds of government emails yes. and internal uh, communication strategy documents, uh, court documents, affidavits, uh, and academic research and to piece together uh, what the industry has been doing um, to influence our government regulators into essentially turning a blind eye to the problems being potentially caused by the industry. So what would I would I see in the, the narrative that I've reported on in the TIE over two different pieces which are on their website, the TIE.ca, is a what could I think be very fairly described as a captured regulator. And that is the phenomenon that we've seen it happen in the oil and gas sector and other places. It's when an industry becomes so powerful uh, that it it takes over the government regulator that's supposed to be watching it on behalf of the public and the environment. Mm -hmm. And so, what we see here is a real pattern um, of of the the Department of Fisheries and Oceans and the provincial uh, agriculture uh, veterinary lab, which which does a lot of the auditing of the health of the fish farms really going out of their way to accommodate the industry uh, and when new science is happening um, and using cutting-edge genomic uh, testing uh, methods uh, out of the Pacific Biological Station in Nanaimo um, and an institute called the, the um, uh, Strategic Salmon Health in Initiative uh, for a three-year period, they were studying um, a disease on, 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 a, on a salmon farm uh, and came to the conclusion that this disease was here in BC despite the industry and government having maintained for years that no, it isn't. And when they came ready to publish these findings or to announce them to the public, what we see is um, a public relations war being waged within DFO very much influenced by and catering to the industry, uh, whereby they they downplayed um, the severity of, of of the disease in the announcement. They they changed it instead of saying we know that this disease is here, which these researchers were very confident. Uh, a, a team, an interdisciplinary team of eight scientists from Canada, Norway, and Scotland, all the leaders in their field, 
uh, very sure that this disease is here affecting farm fish and potentially wild fish. Um, and yet, uh, when the announcement was made, their higher-ups in political higher-ups within DFO made sure that the public heard that it was only a potential or possible discovery. Uh, and they went out of their way to um, to downplay the significance of it. And this is something that has been happening for a number of years with other viruses um, and diseases connected to farm salmon and wild salmon. And what's clear to me is that we don't have a properly functioning um, federal regulator. And there's another situation that emerges kind of tied to this is um, a, a federal court order came down in 2015 telling the, in, the, the regulator, DFO, that they have to test the hatchery fish that come from the industry. They grow them on land to a certain point, what we call smolts, a few inches long, mm-hmm. and then transfer them in ships and put them into these open net pen containers in the ocean, which is where the interaction happens between with the, the viruses and diseases and parasites between farm fish and wild fish and where the risk is. And what there is a law uh, under Section 56 of this of the Fishery General Regulation that says uh, you can't transfer a fish into the ocean that has uh, a virus or that is infected or diseased, um, as it may be uh, harmful to wild salmon. And that is, you know, the mandate of the Department of Fisheries and Oceans to protect wild salmon. So. Uh, there was a discovery that uh, one of these hatcheries had was in was just riddled with this uh, piscine real virus PRV, uh, which is the viral precursor to a disease called heart and skeletal muscular inflammation, which in Norway has killed up to twenty percent of the fish on particular farms um, in the height of of, uh, of a disease bloom in Norway. Uh, so we know that it can affect fish. Um, and when this discovery was made and this evidence was presented to court, the judge, Justice Donald Rennie, ordered DFO to, to begin testing uh, for, for this virus and disease and to not allow the transfer of these fish into the ocean. And for two years, he gave them four months to comply, and for two years, um, the federal regulator did nothing, completely hmm. ignored a court order. And so the people that brought that case, which was salmon farm biolo- salmon biologist and fish farm critic Alexander Morton mm-hmm. and EcoJustice, the uh, law firm, uh, they filed a new suit, and that will be proceeding this year. Um, they're just submitting evidence now, uh, and a court date is yet to be set. Uh, but in response to this, rather than first of all follow the court order and the law that it's based on and follow their constitutional responsibility to protect and conserve wild fish dfo has gone out of its way to invent excuses here um they've reinterpreted their constitutional mandate to say oh we don't really need to protect all fish or an individual fish we just need to ensure that the whole conservation unit isn't wiped out and as long as it's not going to do that as long as we don't believe that's going to happen um then we think it's okay uh and and they've also determined that uh basically what they're now going to do is change the law itself 
which would make the judge's order it would it would undermine it it would make it moot potentially because uh, the law that he's basing his his ruling on is no longer there um, and this is really breathtaking. This isn't really coming from the minister. And the minister has been charged with by the prime minister listening to science, implementing the precautionary principle, following the recommendations yes, yes. of the Cohen inquiry uh, into wild salmon. And, and so his underlings are going around trying to change laws. And, and it's really wholly inappropriate um, for you know, our civil servants to be doing this. So, so okay, l- l- just to make sure that our audience gets this straight, I'm just going to do a big picture thing here. So, essentially yeah. what happened is they're doing these, f- the, 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 they're hatching the eggs, of the farming the yeah. salmon on the land in some big pools, right? And when yeah. they reach a certain age, and because of the conditions on, the, on these farms, uh, some of these uh, young smolts get disease. And then they put them into the water, into uh, right side by side by with the wild salmon, but like in those big nets. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. And Depends, of, yeah. And of course, these diseased fish are essentially affecting the wild stock as well. And the uh, DFO knows about this. They have the the, the scientific. Uh, Data that says this is happening, and yet you're, they're turning a, a blind eye because the industry lobby is too powerful. In yes. the big picture, that's what's happening. Y'all. Now, I, yeah, then that's a good overview. Now, I'll just say is we, we don't yet really know what the impact. I mean, this this science has to be done sort of uh, in a logical sequence. There's there should be more resources for the science, but there is at least sufficient resources to do some of this science and that was all directed under a federal judicial inquiry in, in 2012 uh the cohen commission inquiry yes I uh, that. <laughs> directed that more of this science be done okay so uh this lab was set up the strategic salmon health initiative they went off and did some of it they determined okay first of all this disease hsmi is here we now we then learned also that Piscine real virus causes HSMI, like HIV causes AIDS, okay, the virus and the disease. Okay. Uh, we know that these um, viruses and diseases now we know exist in BC's waters. We know that the disease has had a, a significant impact on farmed salmon in Norway. It's been a, a leading cause of mortality and, and financial losses for them in, in uh, over the past decade. Um we also know from a from a very recent study published in the respected journal PLOS One um, that fish with carrying PRV, wild fish with PRV, which is the viral precursor to HSMI, um, it's easier to test for PRV. So it could be very well that they have both the virus and the disease, but we know for sure they had the virus and they had trouble making it to their natal streams uh, and we know that the percentage of fish that had PRV below Hell's Gate, which is the biggest navigational challenge on the Fraser River, mm-hmm. um, was much higher than above Hell's Gate. And so what that would suggest is that just like you or I would have more trouble completing a marathon, uh, let alone maybe, I don't know about you, but even a 10-kilometer run, uh, uh, if we were perfectly healthy, uh, or we should say if we had a cold than compared to if we were perfectly healthy. And so these salmon have a very harrowing journey, the ones that go all the way up the Fraser River and, and off uh, uh, side streams of, of the Fraser tributaries and to do their spawning. And so they don't need any extra um, 
burdens on them to, to, to complete that journey. And if they can't make it, then that we call that pre-spawn mortality. And of course, that means that there'll be fewer eggs, uh, you know, hatching the following year, mm-hmm. uh, and and it will affect wild salmon. So we we have essentially, Kevin, the pieces of this puzzle keep emerging, and we're fitting them together. I can't sit here and say a hundred percent that. You know, the, 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 the big revelation would be to be able to say the Norwegian fish farm industry brought a virus here in eggs from Norway. Because these are Atlantic fish that we're farming here, by the way. Yes. These aren't even indigenous to BC. So over the years, those eggs have been imported here. And then we've reproduced them here in hatcheries and created these smolts that go. And we're talking tens of millions every year that are going into these large open net pen farms. We have about little over a hundred licensed tenured farms in BC. They're not all active all at the same time. Uh, and it's about a two year period to grow from when those smolts are put in the farm to when they grow up to be uh, harvestable adult fish. What's But the reason for the industry to be using Atlantic salmon instead of Pacific? Uh, they they handle the, the, the process of being penned up in these. I mean, this is really unnatural and Um, they've just determined it also the industry comes from Norway so they started working with us and they, they learned how to you know perfect their methods of working with Atlantic salmon I think that's part probably part of it uh, but they just have determined that there have been experiments done with uh, certainly with Chinook and uh, some other uh, salmon species very minimally Uh, but they've just stuck with Atlantic salmon. And it's a big, you know, there are many other problems with the industry because, first of all, there's several tons of waste that are being dumped mm-hmm. through these net pens and into the, onto the ocean floor. Uh, their feces, which contain all sorts of nasty stuff uh, and affect the marine environment. There are escapes of these fish. We had over 300,000 Atlantic fish that escaped from a farm in Washington State in Puget Sound mm. uh, in summer uh, that made big news headlines all over the world. Uh, and those fish were found as far up the island as Campbell River, where I live and grew up and have just recently moved back. So there are problems with these Atlantic salmon uh, in, in basically insinuating themselves into the natal streams of Uh, of the wild indigenous coho or sockeye or chinook. Uh, so there's all kinds of problems here with this whole uh, kind of grotesque ex- experiment that's been going on for several decades. And these diseases and viruses will be out. I mean, one of the things I can't say for sure, there's been one piece of research in 2013 that suggested that the strain of piscine rio virus, PRV, came from Norway. Uh, there's more work that's being done on that. Uh But the, the, the issue is that, and there, there are probably some viruses and diseases that are native to these waters, and sea lice, uh, which has been another issue, a parasite, which can affect uh, wild fish very badly, um, they exist in, in the ocean. And anybody who goes out fishing will know they got to clean the sea lice off. You know, there'd be a handful of them sometimes when you catch a coho or a chinook. Uh, but the problem is what you're doing is you're creating Um, these massive incubators that are totally unnatural and they're on the migratory routes of these wild fish. So you're taking a million fish in some cases in one of these farms, in these pens, and they're concentrating the virus and disease and the parasites. And then when the juvenile out-migrating wild fish swim by, uh, who are very vulnerable to these sorts of things, 
they can hop off of the farms and get onto the wild fish. And so it may be even that some of these cases, uh, the, the diseases came from the wild, but the wild has its own way of dealing with these things. And, uh, you know, the fish, they swim back to their natal stream. Uh, uh, sea lice don't survive in fresh water more than a day or two, so they die off and they, they shed them and they're able to go back, uh, you know, lice-free. Uh, the, uh, the adults die after they've spawned, except for some Chinook. They die, and so that breaks the cycle of disease. And then the new, uh, you know, uh, alevins hatch, and they're and they are able to rebegin that cycle uh, without being infected. But what we're doing now is is we have these hundred farms or so that are full of these, uh, you know, at different points, full of uh, Atlantic farm salmon, sometimes up to a million fish in one pen, and they are magnifying and amplifying and concentrating and spreading these viruses and diseases and parasites to the wild fish, and that's the big concern. And regardless of whether we had just one last point here on the science, regardless of whether we know everything, and and the pieces keep coming and they keep lining up and suggesting there's a problem here. But one of the most important things that Justice Cohen directed after this $26 million exhaustive public inquiry was that we apply the precautionary principle. And that means that when there's a risk to the environment or human health, uh, the onus is really on the industry and the regulator to prove that there isn't a problem before you do something. It's not the other way around. And that's what we've been in here. And even when good scientists do good work, they're attacked in the media. Uh, they're attacked within their own department. Their, their work is suppressed and stifled, and they have to fight and claw just to get this out to the public. If the, there's nothing wrong with the industry, they should have nothing to hide. There should be no problem with, with this coordinated, both public and private and secretive attack on, on science. And that runs very, very contrary to what Justice Cohen said and what any, I think, common sense citizen should want, which is that we, we, we allow our scientists to do their work uh, in our interest in the, to the benefit of the environment. And we wait and we see what they have to say. And when the information comes out and tells us that we should be concerned about something, then we take that seriously. And that's not what's been happening here at all for the last 15 years, at least. Hmm. So, so you do have some <clears throat> scientists out there on their own dime, I'm assuming. They're actually... No, no, they have funding from, I mean, DFO is not funding much of this science. There are other, organi- the Pacific Salmon Foundation, which is a which is a charitable organization, okay. and uh, Genome BC, which is a, a sort of a, a semi-private public um, lab in BC, uh, along with DFO, the three of them created the Strategic Salmon and Health Initiative, which is what's been doing the really breaking research here that I've been reporting on. But DFO is not contributing very much. They're contributing lab space uh, and and some staff, but they're not contributing a lot of money to it. And and this science would benefit from having a, a much bigger injection of, of capital, of, of resources. But they've still been managing to do some really important work. Uh, with the resources that they do have. Well, that was, that was, that was my point. So these guys, they're, they're not cranks. <clears throat> they're not that lone voice in the wilderness. These people actually have some cre- some credibility in what they're doing. Yet the government is ignoring their own rules and not listening to these guys at all and not taking any precautions to even look into their work. So at least to even debunk, let's say, for example, they're so sure of their position, they could at least go in there and debunk the position of these scientists, and yet they're not doing that. 
Yeah, and let me tell you, like the way that they've gone about sort of debunking this science in in their very crass, uh, unscientific way, is they created their own um, diagnosis of heart and skeletal muscular inflammation, HSMR. And it's different from what the world's scientists and scientific literature use. Whoa, that is sneaky. Yes. So for many years, salmon farms were regulated by the province under the Ministry of Agriculture. In 2009, thanks to a lawsuit that Alexandra Morton brought, that forced it back to DFO, which is where it should have been because they're in charge of fisheries. Um, And they should not be. Another really important point that Justice Cohen made is they should not be both promoting the salmon farming industry and regulating and protecting wild fish. That's called the conflict of interest. Yes. And so this was one of the things that he urged be broken up and, and that sam- promotion of salmon farming could go to Industry Canada, you know, which is designed to promote industry in Canada. That would be a logical fit. It shouldn't be in-house inside the same place. It's trying to protect an industry that might, or, you know, a species that might be being very likely being impacted by this other industry. Uh, so, uh, but for many years, this was being done under the province and uh, the auditing of the health of these fish farms is being done by the uh, Animal Health Center in Abbotsford, and in particularly a scientist, a veterinarian by the name of Dr. Gary Marty, whose lab is now under investigation right now as we speak by the province for ethical issues uh, that have been raised by other scientists. And, and that's very apt that that be happening because my research shows that there are some serious flaws in how this work is being done. And the, the, the big thing that they did, so the, this, this auditing lab works hand in hand with the industry. They co-publish science, they co-fund science, uh, they have a professional relationship, a client, it's, it's really more of a client a service provider relationship than it is a regulator and uh, you know industry relationship. So and working very closely together, they developed um, a new diagnosis, a different diagnosis that conveniently found that this disease was not here. And in a number of papers and reports that they published, they said HSMI is not in BC. Okay, very plainly. Meanwhile, this research has been done by another lab. And, and they come to the conclusion, yes, it is here. And we learn that from internal emails that the distinction between these two diagnoses is that they said, okay, the rest of the world, they say you need clinical signs to make this diagnosis. And that is lesions, microscopic lesions on the heart and the skeletal muscle. Okay. They didn't even collect skeletal muscle until t- t- 2013 or 2014. So they completely ignored one half of that diagnosis for years um, the heart lesions they acknowledge that they're there they know that it's there uh, but they added a, ne- a new piece which is um, behavioral signs clinical signs in other words are the fish outwardly are they swimming funny are they emaciated are they not eating very well okay that there are situations where those clinical signs can be present and the fish has the disease, but the fish may have the disease and not show that stuff. And it depends on a whole bunch of other factors like the temperature in the ocean, salinity, acidification, um, other environmental factors, like if there are other stressors in the environment, like an algal bloom or parasites, then they may be more likely, just like you or I could be carrying a disease and mm-hmm. we don't even know it. And then something 
significant happens. We have a really stressful event in our life or whatever. And then all of a sudden it kicks in and, and then we get really sick. And then you can see, you know, the person's sick. So these, the, the international you know, scientists who've set the standard for this disease have been very careful to warn that you do not use clinical signs to make this diagnosis. All you need to do is cut these fish open take out the heart, take out the skeletal tissue and put it under a microscope and see, are these lesions here or not? Does it have, is it affecting the tissues? And if it is, then it has the disease. And these guys made up a different uh, diagnosis. And then of course, in, in determining whether there's clinical signs, the government is relying on the industry's own reports from their farms. They're not going out there and watching and saying, oh yeah, we see clinical signs. They're calling the the farmer, the farm is not calling them. They're just saying, no, nothing to see here. We're taking them at their word. You and I could see how that's, uh, there's a conflict there. I mean, you're, you're, you're basically putting the fox in charge of the hen house. And well, exactly. You're a lot. Yeah, I, but they don't see a problem with that. Well, did, did they at least have marine biologists sign off on that new condition, a new behavioral condition that determines their definition of the disease? Did they actually have some scientists sign off on this, or did they just came out of the blue with this? Three science, groups of scientists that, that concocted and published science using this diagnosis, which they never disclosed, by the way. So they, they, had, they didn't disclose the who... journal that they published in that they were using a different... Uh, diagnosis when they said it wasn't here uh, and the three groups represented here are DFO mm -hmm. the provincial lab that I just mentioned the scientist Gary Marty who's been working in concert with the industry for years and is now under investigation and the industry itself they That's published outrageous. they devised this um, so it's industry veterinarians employees of Marine Harvest and Suramac, et cetera. In this case, Marine Harvest was very involved. The biggest operator here, Norwegian company. Oh, well, I'm um, sure they're biased, so, right? So that, those are the scientists that we're talking about. But the scientists within DFO, you might say, well, well, they're independent federal government scientists. Well, they're not. I, I've seen I've seen the, the internal emails and the documents that show just how in bed um, they are with the industry. I mean, let me put it to you this way, Kevin. When this discovery was made, and these scientists, these very reputable, not just not cranks, but the top people in their field in the world, okay, when they came to this conclusion, they said, they're sure it's here, okay? Um, I get an email, for instance, from an, the, an internal aquaculture department manager within DFO saying to another person, they're, 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 just, they're crafting the press release and how this is going to be presented to the public. And they're watering it down. They're saying, oh, it's just a preliminary or potential diagnosis. And this woman's saying, I've been in touch with our communications department and I'm, I've forwarded the concerns of the aquaculture industry and to make tweaks to the press release. Uh, and I hope that Friday's release, when it goes up to the public, is that version. Okay. Now, just in case people don't understand, that, that would be like the Surgeon General is coming out with a new, some new science for a new... Uh, public uh, statement about science that's been done about smoking and the impacts on health and cancer. Exactly. And 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 before they do that, they say we got a press release here, a draft press release. This is what we're going to say to the people. But let's call Philip Morris first and see if they have any problems with the press release and what they, how they would like it to be worded. That that is exactly 
you know, what has happened here. I'm actually stunned. I could not have put this better myself. I mean, you're absolutely completely oh. ahead on the nail. I hit the nail on the head there. Absolutely. My God. Oh. So, and you could say, well, okay, well, what's it? This isn't as bad as smoking or whatever. Well, hold on a second. This is salmon, as you understand, in British Columbians. And I think part of the problem is that a lot of DFO and their management decisions and the minister. We haven't had a fisheries minister in Canada from British Columbia since the 1980s and John Fraser. That, in spite of the fact that something like 60% of the aquaculture industry in Canada is in BC. Hmm. And the biggest wild fisheries still around since the collapse of the cod on the East Coast are in BC. So BC is the game. BC is the most important fishery uh, place in Canada. Yeah. So why do we continue having these East Coast or Central Canadian fisheries ministers who don't know and don't really care about what happens to wild fish? And the thing is, it is very important. It's very important to First Nations who have been protesting this industry for years and have been involved in an occupation of the farms and a legal battle over that in recent months. It's important to the entire ecosystem. As you know, the bears, the eagles, the wolves are forests that are fed by the nutrients from the fish when these animals take them in, in the forest and the carcasses put all this nitrogen. And that's why we have these huge coastal yes. forests or partly. So you, you and I both understand, and I think most of your listeners will, that wild salmon is hugely important. There's still twice as many people employed in the wild fishery, even though it's a shadow of its former self, very possibly related to uh, this aquaculture industry coming in here over the years. Um, but it still still employs more people. Tourism, uh, you know, we're talking close to 200,000. Yeah. Forestry, in the beleaguered forestry and pulp and paper sectors together are 60,000 jobs. Fish farms, 1,400. And sure, there are some spin-off uh, jobs in processing, and there's lawyers and, and public relations people and other people that service this industry. But it is absolutely paltry compared to um, what the, the value of the wild fish, especially when you look at ecotourism and all this bear viewing and whale watching. Yes, yes. And all of the things that depend on that. So it is a big deal when um, when our federal regulator and this provincial lab that's helping them do this um, and, and the industry are all working together to turn their back on wild fish. And, and that is, that's what's been going on. And unless the minister, I mean... Um, decides to intervene here radically the, pro the the problem with you know with regulatory capture is it pervades an entire management structure it becomes it's, it's like a cancer so that the few scientists that i've mentioned that are actually doing their jobs they become the the exception to the rule they become the aberration they're the ones that are marginalized and bullied and given a hard time because they're not part of the culture. The culture is no longer about what it's supposed to be about, which is protecting wild fish. The culture is now about this convoluted business of promoting and protecting a foreign-owned uh, aquaculture business using Atlantic fish that aren't even from here. That's what DFO has become. Absolutely mind-boggling. I'm uh, and now I got a quick question. Forgive my ignorance here, Damien, but would all this be? Could you save all this if you simply didn't put those molts back in the wild water? If you kept everything on the land, would that really resolve the problem at that point? 
Well, okay, so right now, there. Are, I mean, this is an interesting question. It raises a few issues. So first of all, right now, there is a land component to the industry, which is the raising of the smolts yes. and hatcheries. Many people would like to see the entire industry put on land. Um, and, and it's very much like the renewable energy uh, issue with, you know, you'll hear defenders of pipelines and the oil and gas status quo say, oh, well, you know, you can't replace our energy needs with, you know, solar panels and when it's too expensive, it's too, you know, uh, dodgy, whatever. Well, we've seen that in the last decade that it, certainly they, they, they play different roles and they can offer different things, but the cost comparison of, uh, of of various forms of renewable energy has come down dramatically mm. relating to oil and gas. So it's actually not a pie-in-the-sky thing. It's real now, and a lot of countries are doing this. The car industry is moving to electric, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. So we've seen a very similar kind of thing happen in, in the aquaculture business, where these three big companies, they're all from Norway, they own 90% of the BC industry. Let's call them like they're the Toyota, the GM, and the Ford of 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 the uh you know global industry mm-hmm. um it's much easier for them you know in terms of economies of scale in terms of the huge capital that they have to electrify their their fleets or in this case um make the investments to to make closed containment um uh, you know more of a a feasible reality uh than it is for little upstarts like you know the equivalent of the teslas or the even smaller companies in the electric car business um you know entering that field and competing with those giants so the best the people who are best positioned to lead this change are the very companies that are are doing the open net uh uh business today but like the you know the, the renewable clean tech sector already there have been some huge advancements in closed containment we saw a successful pilot project uh uh Kutera that happened uh, the the port mcneil uh um, Namgi's First Nation was partnered in uh, with some other partners, um, you know, in, in Alert Bay, and they showed that it can be done. There's a huge new operation um, about to open in Florida, which is actually like on a, a comparable commercial scale. This this could very much happen. It needs to happen, <clears throat> and it it would present a lot of op- uh, benefits. It, we wouldn't be seeing this open exchange of diseases, viruses, parasites just the waste being dumped into the ocean i mean what other agriculture industry is allowed to just like are pig farmers allowed to just unmitigatedly dump tons and tons of their animals feces into the fraser river every day i know a lot of people complain that there's far too much of that going on but we do have some laws these guys just it just falls right through the nets and that and it's gone and it's a very I think this is part of why the industry is so reluctant to change because they have these free externalities that we give them. Yes. We, we charge them virtually virtually nothing for their uh, ocean tenures and leases. We charge them virtually nothing for, uh, you know, in terms of like the, the, the kind of comparison on land would be stumpage fees for uh, for for forestry mm-hmm. are the unage fees that we charge these guys is like a few dollars a ton so we're we're not getting a lot of provincial or federal revenue from this we're not getting they're able to dump their waste there they get a free meal too right like they feed is a big issue they have to capture 
uh, anchovies and sardines and krill from around the world and at least a couple of pounds of that to grow one pound of wild fish. So this is a net protein loss. We're actually depleting our oceans to grow these farmed fish. Uh, but they are also supplementing um, their feed by the, all the wild fish that swim into their nets. And for many years, they had big lights on in their nets, which is illegal in commercial wild fisheries. But they were allowed to do this. And you know what happens when you turn a light on? It's like a bug uh, moth to a flame. You right. know, uh, fish will be attracted by it. And they they very deliberately had all these giant lights. I mean, they're the size of your head, you know, one of these light bulbs. And um, if you have as big a head as I do. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and they, it, it, you know, they would attract, we know, bycatch, herring and other fish that would swim in there and feed. The fish. So there's all these freebies that the industry has been receiving from being in the open ocean like this. And and so them moving on to land, they're going to, we're gonna to have to tweak some of these levers, take away some of this free stuff and give them some incentives to move on land. But it's also, there's a lot of benefits because you can, you can drive a truck in there and pick up the product and take it to market. People can, rather than being camped out on one of these farms for a couple of weeks, which could be a pretty nasty, experience in high seas and you're away from your family and now you can get in your vehicle and drive home and see your kids at the end of the day yeah. there are a lot of benefits to the to the employees of this industry to the environment uh to the you know the the streamlining of the operations the removal of environmental factors and problems and weather and all sorts of things uh that have been a challenge to the industry so this is really when you talk about we talked about the problem but this is the solution this is where it needs to go and yes if we stopped uh, putting these diseased and infected smolts into the ocean, um, we would be able to control. I'm not saying that, you know, there's a certain amount of it that's out there and it's in wild fish to some extent we're, we're seeing now. Um, there's been some serious damage done here and I don't know how quickly the wild fisheries would rebound. And I'm not pretending for a second that fish farms are the only thing afflicting the health of our wild fish. And a lot of people will use that argument. You know, the few people that gave negative comments on the stories that I published were saying that kind of a red herring type argument. Well, there's other issues like climate change. I didn't say there wasn't, but you or I, as much as we should be all working together to stem climate change and make better energy decisions going forward. And and, and we do that. We're, mm. we're working on that. But we don't, I'm also looking at the things that we can readily control and things like, you know, habitat destruction from logging, uh, which which was an issue for many years, overfishing of uh, the wild stocks, um, and what kind of pollution and viruses and diseases we allow to go into the ocean. These are things that we can control much easier than we can ocean acidification, climate change, water temperatures, and these sorts of things. So it's not an either or. We need to do everything we can, and it's going to take a lot of hard work together uh, to bring back our wild salmon stocks. But uh, it's it's so important that we need to do that. And we definitely need to start with the things that we can control. And we've been told this time and time again by the experts that look at this. There are problems there with the fish farms and we need to deal with them. Wow. So this is a, essentially this is a classic story of uh, privatizing the profit and socializing the externalities. This is exactly what the industry is doing. Absolutely. Here. Absolutely. <clears throat> and let's be clear, the privatizing of the profit is going to Norway. Oh, it's even worse. $500 million a year, BC, a value, a farm gate value of the product being grown here. Mm -hmm. 
Very little of that is staying in this community. The only money that's staying here is the relatively low wages that they pay their workers. I mean, you know, we're talking like 20 bucks an hour. I'm not saying that's a terrible job or anything to sneeze at. I live in Campbell River, which is the capital of the industry in Canada. So my community disproportionately benefits in terms of there are a lot of people here. It's a very controversial thing to talk about it because it's kind of hard to uh, to do so without knowing a neighbor or somebody that works in the industry. I grant that. I'm not I'm not upset with those people and I'm not saying they shouldn't have a job. Yeah. I'm saying that we could do it on land and they would still have a job, but it wouldn't be affecting the wild fishermen's jobs and it wouldn't be affecting the whale watching companies and bear viewing companies and all the other people that work in this part of the world who also need to have their jobs. Exactly. So and a quick conclusion, Damien, um, uh, with the new government coming in, the uh, new NDP government in, in British Columbia, and they recently just banned a trophy uh, bear hunt. Uh, no. Do you feel positive about the future of this? Do you think people are starting to wake up to this issue, or do you think that uh, people are still way, way uh, mm. asleep at the switch? Okay, well, first of all, the provincial government in the last few months has launched three investigations into the industry. One to do with, it was a very controversial issue. Many of your listeners will have seen this on Facebook and other places in the mainstream media. The dumping of blood water from two processing plants. And this happens on many other plants. This is at the end when the fish is harvested from the farm. They take it back to land and they, they gut it and fillet it and package it up and send it off to California or China. Because we actually don't eat very much of this in BC. Right, so in the process of doing that, there's all this blood and waste, and they were just pumping this right out into Johnson Strait and Clackwood Sound into very important wild salmon habitat. Some of this blood was tested, and it was found to contain piscine rio virus. So it's not being properly uh, bio-treated either. Okay, so um, so they're investigating that. They're investigating the use of harmful chemicals that damage the marine environment and other sea creatures to treat sea lice on these farms. And they're investigating the ethics and operations of this provincial health audit lab that I talked about reviewing the industry. So um, they launched, they, they, you know, there's enough, should be some confidence in the fact that they've launched these investigations, but we'll have to wait to see what happens at the end of that, whether they take any action, the province can control two things. They control the uh, the the audit lab, which basically continued to do the auditing because they were already set up for it. And so even though the responsibility is now DFOs, they made a contract with the provincial lab. So they're still involved. Um, and they also control the ocean tenures, which is like a, a, like a lease, but in the ocean to have the farm out there. Mm. And they need that to operate. And uh, a big chunk of these tenures, in particular in very controversial areas with the First Nations and the Broughton Archipelago area, um, uh, are coming due in June. So the province has indicated it's gonna think long and hard about whether or not to renew those tenures or whether what conditions they wanna add to them. And so we'll see what happens. This is a very important time, not only for the federal DFO and, and fisheries minister to be hearing from the public as they try to gut this law and, and change the ability of uh, make it legal for the companies to put diseased and infected smolts into the ocean. That's something that uh, you know your listeners can really pay attention to and do something and lobby the federal minister uh, not to allow that to happen. But provincially, there are these other issues that the environment minister and the agriculture minister need to be hearing from the public so that they follow through on the promises from those reviews. We saw recently, uh, just just quickly in closing, you mentioned the trophy hunt. There was also um, 
Uh, they rejected the permit for Ajax Mine, a controversial mine near Kamloops. Um, both of those events, uh, decisions were announced within days of the very unpopular decision to continue with Site C Dam. And, and I think that both of those decisions were made to um, throw a bone to the yeah. environmental-minded uh, people out Peace there to say, we're not all bad here about the environment. And you should, but, but the, the level of political damage that the Site C decision has had, and I can just continue to hear it reverberating from all the people that I talk to, um, is, 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 is really significant to the NDP. And it's going to take a lot more than, uh, you know, the trophy hunt regulations or a mine here or there for them to restore public confidence in their government in terms of resource and environmental management. And so one place where they are particularly vulnerable and could be pushed to do things that they haven't in the past is around the management of, um, you know, these fish farms and the impacts on our wild fish. Mm. So they should really be hearing about this. And people who are really upset about what happened with Site C um, should use that as leverage to say, hey, hey, if you want to even think about getting my vote next time around, you better do it. You know, you got to do 10 things right from here on out. And one of those things has to be, um, you know, the way that you approach these 10 years for the fish farms. Some of them or all of them should not be renewed. And you need to really crack down on the shoddy work that's being done at this provincial lab and make sure that if we have a role in the regulation of the industry, that we're doing it properly at the provincial level. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. So write to your MLA and write to your MP. Absolutely. Go and let them know yeah, what you're Yeah, well, ideal. I would say not just your MLA and, the, and MP, but to the ministers. So write to oh, absolutely, George yeah. Heyman, the environment minister. Write to Lana Popham, who's the agriculture minister in BC, and write to Dominic LeBlanc, who's the MP or who's the uh, minister of fisheries federally. Fantastic, Damien. Thank you so much for explaining this to our audience today. But the mic is all yours, my friend. Be shameless. Plug yourself. Go right ahead. Where can they find you? Well, I would just encourage your your listeners to go to the tie.ca to and check out this two part series that I've just published. Um, and I continue to even in the with the loss of my co-founder of the Common Sense Canadian, Rafe Mayer, who yes. passed away tragically um, this past fall. Um, continuing to publish, I've done a lot of work around Site C Dam uh, in recent months, uh, looking and uh, taking a critical look at the at the frankly um, nonsensical economic arguments that the government made to continue on with the project. And I interviewed some of the top independent experts on the subject, former CEO uh, or the former head of the joint review panel into Site C Dam, Harry Swain, uh, and just looking at the comments made by other very knowledgeable experts who really kind of undermined the reasons that the NDP gave for continuing with this project. So mm-hmm. you can find that at commonsensecanadian.ca. Perfect. Damien, before I let you go, I gotta have to say, hi, I'm Damien Gillis, and I took a left to the valley. Hi, I'm Damien Gillis, and I took a left to the valley. And that was our friend Damien Gillis, keeping an eye on the wild salmon. 
What a story! I'm I'm shocked to hear of all this stuff that this fight is happening right in our backyard, and most of us don't know anything about it. We'll absolutely have to keep an eye on it, and we'll have to have him back. And if you really care about the you say you your wild salmon, because you really should, you know the lifestyle of the salmon is not just a fish. You know where the fish dies after it spawns, it feeds nature. It it it's a huge source of uh, of life the animal if that animal disappears it's one of those pivot species if that animal disappears for some reason then you have a whole lot of species that don't rely on it they're going to be in trouble so let's do something about this let's not have this happen well, thank you so much, guys, for being with me on the show today. You can find us at leftatvalley.com. You can find us on Facebook, on uh, Twitter, at LETV. You can send us an email at leftatvalley at outlook.com. And put money in the envelope. Put money in the envelope. Send your envelopes. <laughs> and you can play it to Nancy on the third floor. Absolutely. Or, or, or you could uh, or support us on Patreon, which I'm setting up right now. Or yeah. yeah. If yeah. you had better things we, to do, you could just not look us up. Send, send us some messages of what you guys uh, would want as uh, rewards for Patreon. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Our three listeners, I'm sure, be happy to send us about a dollar a month. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, we that, gotta start somewhere. That That's right. Three dollars adds up. We can buy better equipment. It That's totally right. does. Bring a better show. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next week, we'll be talking to our old friend Michael Shermer. Oh yeah. his new book. Ooh, that should yeah. be interesting. And at the end of the month, we'll be talking to Phil Ferguson. I'm so excited. Dynamite uh, ab- lineup, as always. Uh, uh, the aptly named The Phil Ferguson Show will be yeah. talking about Bitcoin. If, if you ever want to listen to a show that makes you like, oh my gosh, I have to get better with my money. <laughs> <laughs> and on the 3rd of February, our old friend, we have a lot of old we friends. We have a lot of show. old friends. Yeah. Chris, old people. Chris the Christian Christensen. Oh, oh back he's on coming no. back on the I show. Haven't, I haven't seen What's, him. what's he talking about? He's just going to talk about how he feels as a Christian. Oh. So we're just going to have a nice, interesting conversation. I hope I'm here. Him. And he's going to bring his here. friend Zach, too. I so hope, I hope I'm you're here. here, too. I hope I'm here just to witness this. <laughs> now, we're not going to tear his head have... off. Oh, he's no, a nice no, 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 no. Absolutely not. I'm just going to ask simple questions. Exactly. <laughs> Are going to have a conversion? No, I have to hand it to Chris for the last it's a two or three years, Kevin, that he's been so willing oh, yes. to share his ideas Chris and come and I, on. Chris come and I have had some good conversations Absolutely. in person. Yeah. He, is, he is a very good Talking person. to a Christian with Chris Christensen, can he be more Chris, 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 Chris Christian than that? I think we helped him all through seminary, (laughs) (laughs) actually. And, of course, on the 10th, we'll be talking to David Fitzgerald about his latest book. And also our old friend Luke Fevern. Remember Luke from Alberta? I was yeah. I here? We, yes, you were. We did a part one yes. show, and you were supposed to talk about the yeah. uh, school. Uh, yes, the religion That's getting right. into school. Yes, I remember He's gonna that. He's going to be coming back. Oh, well. good. Nice. Good. And See I'm also working on getting these people from the biomimicry institute. Yes, to come and talk that about is going to be so interesting. I'm so excited. Good I have deal. some. I have some interesting questions I want to ask them. Yes, we all have a lot of interesting questions. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for all this. Until next time. Yes. Oh, um, read Harry Potter. Uh. <laughs> Oh, she had to slip it in there. All right, see you guys. Now let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful. The thousands of children are raped by priests, and since they're holy men of God, they get away scot-free. To keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business He loves money too much We know that they love the kids But how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them We teaching them to respect them Respect them
Fuck that. The system is broke down, working backwards in the only action or tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them. The parties of God's hands are bloodstained, millions of murders by believers, and they're all in God's name. And let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful that many atheists are told to be quiet. A non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Atheist, atheist, atheist.